Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message. See, it's a very dramatic way of making a point. In today's message, we're doing a tag team. Thank you. My wife and I are going to both be speaking and sharing. And what's incredible about this story is a lot of you started not liking her. You started getting mad at her. And really what you're doing is a lot of us, if we're honest, we're getting mad at ourselves. We started putting ourselves in that position. We're like, how many times do I do stuff or I'm a part of things that I know that Jesus is not wanting to be a part of in any way? And we do it anyway. We still keep moving in that direction. See, when she yells at him and treats him that way, a lot of us in here get that chill in our heart like, oof, that bothers me. But the problem is, is when we do this with our life and we do it on a regular basis, we're clueless that we're doing it. We're really in another field thinking that we're okay and that Jesus is with us all the time. He'll never leave us or forsake us, right? Well, a lot of what we're participating in in our everyday life or doing, we really don't want his presence there. Because here at church, his presence is welcome. You know, and um, PK, you know, you said something too with the worship thing. And what was that term you, you said where the example basically set with worship? What did you say with the kids? Do you remember? Caught and not taught. Correct. And I think that's a really neat phrase. And when he said that it's something that's caught and not taught, the problem is, is when we're at home, no one's catching what we're getting because we're not really giving out any teaching or any example at home. So some of us, we could have did, did a whole different scene. We could have put a whole family together. And we could have put a dysfunctional father in the room that is here and everything's great. And when they get home, Jesus is not welcome in that home. We could have done that with a single mother and her son. Everything here looks right, but Jesus, you can't come home with me. See, we're like, well, I'm a Christian, and that's pretty basic. That's pretty standard. Yeah, you're supposed to take him with you. But I can just venture to say a bold statement here that I, and again, I'm not speaking just to you. I'm speaking to myself. I can guarantee you that what's going on during the week is still sitting on the couch because I can tell what's happening here on Sunday. When you walk with Jesus throughout the week and he's with you in everything, what happens here on a Sunday morning looks very different. I've seen it. I know what it looks like. I know what it, that experience is like. But most of you, if we're honest, he's still sitting on the couch. You know? So how do we do this? We ask God to be with us and to guide us. And the directions we go and the things we do and the, the things that we're a part of aren't really conducive to that. And it might not be, oh, I'm going to a party. That's pretty dramatic. Okay, maybe you've been cured from that problem and, you, you know, that's not a part of your life now. Maybe you're older and it's not really the party life for you. Maybe it's just your time. Maybe it's just, you know, you're here and you're like, Jesus, I have other things I'd rather be doing. I'm busy. That's part of it. But there's a scripture that I want to read for you. And I always joke around about Jesus 
because I think it's really funny. This scripture is, to me, it's interesting. It says in Luke 12, 7 through 9, But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. And also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. You know, the thought of him knowing the number of hairs on our head. I mean, some of us, like Daniel, who just shaved his head, not so many hairs. We're good. Little Bill, he's doing good. So the thing is, is some of us, if you actually take this literally, that God knows the number of hairs in your head. That's pretty crazy. Do you know the average human loses about 100 hairs a day off of their head? 100. You wonder why I'm bald. I'm going bald, y'all. I got cover up. I'm telling you, I'm going bald. So here's the deal. If God knows the number of hairs on my head and 100 fall out every single day, he's sitting there like 33,271. 33,270. He watches. He cares. He's like the greatest stalker of all time. He really is. He loves us. Like, he's into us. Like, he's all about us. Did you see how Jesus was just sitting there looking at her? I'm just so glad to be with you. She doesn't get that when she enters into a love affair with God, that there is something that he says that he is obedient to his word with, that he is loyal. We don't understand loyal. We understand harlotry. He understands faithfulness. We don't understand what it means to walk. We understand what it means to trip and fall. See, there's this this issue going on in this relationship with God. What are we doing with that relationship? When we signed up, we didn't really literally think that his presence was going to go with us everywhere. But it does. When we say, Jesus, I give you my life, I want your spirit to live in me. He's now in there. I believe God himself is living on the inside of me. When you're a believer, his spirit, Holy Spirit, living on the inside. Man, really? Where? I mean, crazy stuff, right? Literally living on the inside of us. So what we do is we have two perceptions. One, we're aware of his presence within us. Or two, we are not. And there is one third option. It's called the prisoner option. This is where we say, Jesus, I know your spirit is living on the inside of me. I have my ticket to heaven. Prison door closed. You're in there. Now I'm going to heaven. I'm going to do this anyway. Let's go. And we're under this delusion that he's going to go and fornicate with us and all our other lovers. Because I thought when the Bible talked about being saved, that once you're saved, you're always saved. Like, you can't just lose your salvation, but you can choose to walk away. You can choose to say, I do not want you, and I renounce you. You're like, oh, so every time I sin, I have to get saved again? No. See, people get all confused in this topic. Losing your salvation. Okay, my wife is notorious for losing keys. When you come in my door, you hang them up. This is a common sense thing to, to me. To her, it's like, oh, my gosh, hi, everybody. Where are the keys? I don't know. Where did you put them? You drove it last. And then we go through a whole detective series of who drove the car last and where they went to prove she lost the keys. Losing salvation is a stupid term because it sounds like you just lost your keys. 
Okay, that's, that's ignorant. It is actually a relationship that is broken and you're done with. See, so you're like, well, no, I believe that once saved, always saved. Now, we can play semantics, which is wordplay. Once truly saved, sure. But the thing is that once truly saved, always saved, yes. Okay, sure. But what about people that I've known who've walked with God, who have demonstrated power, who had a relationship burning with him, now renounce him and say, I want nothing to do with you. I do not want to be with you in eternity. I'm done. Oh, well, they're just angry. They didn't mean it. See, here's the problem. I don't believe God's going to force anybody to be with him in eternity. I believe you can change your mind by the power of your free will. But what if the denying of Christ is happening because your actions are doing it? And all you're doing is convincing and lying to yourself that you have a relationship with him. What if everything that you're living is different than what you speak? The church, under this beautiful message, which is true and powerful of grace, has forgotten that there is still the reality of holiness. Those who practice lawlessness are still an issue. That's hard, guys. Because we've gotten so good at being forgiven, we don't know what holy is. We know how to be the forgiven people. The ones who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Our righteousness is filthy rags. We don't know what it's like to walk outside of that identity. What has happened to the church? You're you're not going to convince me that the church of America at large is in a good place. You're not going to convince me that RCC is in a good place. Does that mean everybody's bad? No. It means there's something greater. You know? There's something more. You know what's annoying? And I'm just going to be honest. It's annoying that we have to give a message, not that it happened today or, you know, whatever, but we have to give a message about giving because we can't practice it. We have to actually do a whole sermon because tithes and offerings are down. Instead of saying, hey, people of God, we have a need. And everybody's like, I can't wait to give. Everything's twisted because we live in lack. We don't have enough. We're a mess. See, we constantly live in the wrong perception of our reality. So what we've done is now the Church of America has, they put a pastor up. You know what the pastor is now? It's not part of the fivefold. The pastor is the CEO. He has to run the business. It doesn't even look like this in Acts. I'm like, what is happening? The CEO hires, fires. They have the board. It doesn't look like the church. Yes, there's authority and alignment and all that. Yes, there's government in the church. Yes, but it doesn't look like it's looking right now. Well, now we got to fire this person. Why? Well, they didn't put enough hours in. Whoa. Or they're not performing the numbers that we need. You know, there's churches right now that are getting ready to fire their youth pastors and children's pastors because they're not pulling the numbers they should have. Instead of the church teaching the parents that they're their youth pastors and that they're the ones that should be raising up their kids. Honestly. We took the load off of the home and put it on a position to parent our children. And now we're getting mad at the schools because there's problems in the schools. The teacher's not doing what they should do. It's just taking responsibility off of what we should be doing. If we have children, it's our responsibility to raise them in a godly way. And the problem is, is there's so much compromise in your home, you look like the biggest hypocrite if you try to preach in your own home. The enemy has discredited your voice in your own home, and simply all you have to do is repent. 
You have to say, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Tell your family. Change things up at home. And next time you sit at the table, maybe pull up an extra seat to get the mental picture. This seat belongs to the Lord. Guys, we've forgotten what it's about. And this other verse that I think is so, it's crazy. I just, I love, I love Hebrews. I mean, the faith area alone gets me. But this is what Jotty had read up here. It was for, um, he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Some of you hold on to that and you're so excited. But why is he with us and why will he never leave us? Does it mean he can't leave us because you said, come live in my heart, Jesus? No. That's not what that means. It says right after that, it's so that we will boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? His presence is for you to walk in his grace. His presence is for you to walk with integrity and power. It is not to keep him imprisoned so you can do whatever you want and still have a ticket to heaven. We are so concerned about whether we'll go to heaven or not, we don't even know how to walk kingdom on the earth. Honest. My daughter, it's ingrained at a young age. The other day, she's sitting there going, so mom, if, if I don't do this, will I still go to heaven? At a young age, her mind is, what can I do or what do I need to do in order to still be safe for heaven? All we want to do is know that our eternity is secured and we can get away with whatever we can now. And you wonder why we're not seeing revival and awakening in the church. Now, guys, pointing to myself, I'm pointing to all of us. We're doing this as a team, are we not? Are we not supposed to be the family of God? You're like, well, I don't like those messages where it's really hard. Because you become soft. Because you forgot what it meant to walk this thing out. You know, social media alone is a great picture of the reality in the condition of our church. Not here, but just in America. Watching and listening and paying attention to what people write. How mad they get. I love, I love some of y'all's posts because they just trigger people. Harvest gets them out there, they trigger people. Jotty, you trigger people all the time. I think it's so funny. And they put it out there. And they'll put the most controversial things out there and just make a little statement. And all of a sudden, 60 responses later. I'm like, man, I thought that was pretty basic. But it's not. Because we become very, very passive aggressive with our faith now. Now we can attack people on social media. But when we come face to face, it's like, oh, okay. Oh, I'm going to make this statement out there because I just read somebody's post. I'm just going to make sure to jab them this way because you don't love them. If you love them, you go talk to them. You call them on the phone. You privately message them. I know it's different now. You can privately message, okay. But figure it out. Communicate. And then when you come in here, you're sitting across the way, and you're like, oh, there they are. This is the most dysfunctional stuff I've ever seen in my life. It's awkward. It's strange. The youth get scared when I come up to speak. You know why? Because they know I'll actually address things like that. I'll say things to them. I'll call their name out. Because we have an open policy of you can sharpen me and I can sharpen you. They can come to me and cut on me and say, Pastor John, I just, I think you might have handled this wrong. And I'm like, oh, you know what? You're right. Let me repent. Let me ask your forgiveness right now. Let's do it. See, that's, that's kingdom. That's relationship. 
I don't keep myself up here like I'm, woo, look at me. No. Oh, my gosh, no. Get me off the pedestal. Tell you. My wife will tell you why. <laughs> Get me off the pedestal. I'm serious. But the reality of Jesus and his presence, not only privately but corporately, is askew. The corporate presence of God. I get so frustrated now. I can't even stand little things. People think I'm the worst critic. I don't even say stuff, and they know that inside my mind. I'm like, mm. I get frustrated. You know what I don't like anymore? I don't like what we've done. Creativity has left the church. It's seriously on vacation. I say that because it's coming back. It's not dead. It's just on vacation. Here's what happens with creativity. We see this new worship video. The beautiful Edison bulbs hanging. The palette backdrop. The people standing in a circle with the round camera throughout the whole room like it's an unplugged service. We're singing this beautiful worship song. Expressive. And yet there's still no change in anybody. And then everybody says, wow, that was so good. And then they do it. Let's hang some medicine bulbs. Let's get palette wood. Everybody wants to do the Jacob and Esau. You want to dress up like your brother to impress the father. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So what are we going to do? What is happening? What is the DNA of this house? What is your DNA? Because you are this house. The DNA is not the beautiful wood. The DNA is us. Who are you? You know what else? I can't say this either. I'm just going to give you my little holy moment rants because I want to change perceptions, okay? And I'll ask for forgiveness later if I need to. I promise I will. So here's a little rabbit trail. Let me talk to you about leadership and what it means to have the understanding of being sheep and following a shepherd and all that. He, Jesus, is the great shepherd. Now, there's people put over you as leaders, yes. But those leaders, if they're good leaders, are not there trying to make you look exactly like them. Because if they do and they make you dependent on them, like you can't even speak until the pastor speaks. Do I have permission to speak this? What does the leader say? See, if you get into that, what you have sometimes is a leader who is an insecure leader. He's raising up codependent believers to keep him in the position of authority and power to feed his ego and his insecurity to make sure you stay in a submissive state so you're always serving that leader. In the kingdom, the leader says, you must go further than me. You must go better and stronger than me. You must know what holiness is more than me. And I want you to walk it out and lead. So we say, you get on the platform. You lead. You do this. And then we sit back and go, God, there they go. So anytime in any church where you ever go, make sure that you see discipleship to where the leaders are saying, run faster, higher, and greater than me. If you don't, they're insecure leaders raising up codependent believers. It doesn't mean you don't respect those pastors or honor those positions. What it means is those leaders have a job. But the Church of America, and I call the system that has infiltrated the church, is failing. Because now you are coming to my amusement park, paying admission, buying our food. We have a pool at many of our churches, a baptistry. <laughs> and you get to go and even get dunked in there. You pay your memberships and dues to belong to this club. But you always make sure you understand that I'm the one in charge. 
This is what's happening to the Church of America. And you know what I pray? I pray that all of us are going to wake up. And I believe that the great falling away is literally happening in front of us and it's all within our church houses. But I also believe there are remnants that are holding on. What are you? How do we fight this? How do we deal with this condition? How do we get disciplined? How do we do all these things that I'm saying we should be and do and not be? And how do we do this? It's called discipline. Discipline. So what are some good disciplines? We know reading the word is a good discipline, but how we read it matters, does it not? I mean, Jody's sitting there like, oh, what a great day, great devotion. Like, okay, she, she tried, but she could do better, right? How many of you guys, when you read the word, just be honest, you just like, got nothing. Yeah. It happens, right? You're like, oh, I don't feel anything. I don't, I don't hear anything. I got no revelation. Am I stupid? Am I dense? What's wrong with me? And then you pray, and you feel like you're just talking to a wall. I, you guys have been there, right? Okay, so I'm not the only one that experiences this from time to time. So what do you keep doing? You keep going. You're like, because I know he's alive and I know he is real, so I must stay the course. Right? Oh, but I don't feel him. Get over your feeling. Stop it. But I haven't seen the breakthrough. Get over yourself. But I'm not seeing the financial blessing. Go live in a tent if it must be. I joke with my wife. I'm like, I'll live in our camper. I don't care. That's what you want. Here's the deal. What do you do? You keep going. You don't stop. You have a stubborn spouse. Man, they're just not changing. You keep going. Well, do I have a legal right for divorce? You're looking for an escape faster than you are for a solution because you're overburdened and you're tired. I get that. And I'm not saying that there's not times that God's like, you're done. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is some of you are holding on and you're saying, why do you want me to hold on? Because all it is is for you to know that he is still faithful. He is still worthy. He'll walk through whatever that process is going to be. So besides reading your word, besides disciplining yourself, telling your flesh no for goodness sakes. I mean, honestly, my biggest thing is like, I like food, obviously. I hate that. Like, why do I love food? I'm a foodie. So I can go, man, I'll fast. I won't lose any weight. I could fast for three weeks. I don't lose a pound. I walk into a Dunkin' Donuts. I smell I got carbs. I'm gaining pounds. All right. There's a demon in the air. I get it, okay? But there's a discipline that we have to learn, right? So we start learning about that discipline. And it's saying no. It's saying we can get better than this. We can do better than that. Another discipline, prayer, right? How many of us pray? Who prays in here? Yeah? Okay, it's not like, Hail Mary, help me, Jesus, I'm going to die today. Like, we're talking like maybe a little bit different. Maybe like, hey, God, here's how prayer should look sometimes. Hey, God, what do you want to say? And you sit and you wait. And let me tell you what sitting and waiting is and is not. Waiting in the kingdom is not staying still. Waiting in the kingdom, waiting on the Lord is movement. A lot of you are like, I'm just waiting on God to break through this season. Then your pursuit better be a violent pursuit, walking with him, not just sitting stagnant and doing nothing. I'm just waiting on God. How fast are you running? Tell me. Don't tell me you're waiting on God, but you're not doing anything. That's not waiting on God. 
That's being lazy. That's being defeated. You pursue him. So prayer is an interaction back and forth with him, right? And he should talk to you, and you should talk to him. And you're like, I don't hear his voice. Well, then tell him, I need to learn your voice through the word, through hearing it. All his sheep know his voice. He is not a liar. And then there's another thing, and I'm going to bring my wife up to tell you about. There's this other factor that is actually an important thing that many of us miss. Right, hon? Yeah. So we're going to let, let her share this part with you. Now, see what I'm doing here? I'm picking up my keys, and I'm putting them back in my pocket. Okay. See that? So we're going to know where they are. Okay. Okay, just making sure. He's so cute, right? He's so cute with your sass. <laughs> oh, he's so sexy when he preaches. Um, anyway. <laughs> Hey, guys. <laughs> I've said it a million times. I hate speaking, especially when you have to follow that. But I am passionate about what I want to share. The other thing, you, he kind of said it when he talked about Dunkin' Donuts, which we need to stop by there after this because perfect. Thank you, guys. Um, and he said it. And he said fasting. And so I have been, anyone who's been with me over uh, any amount of years will know that I love fasting. And that pretty much lost 99.9% of the room right there when I said that. But here's what I'm going to talk about, not the concept of fast, not just the concept or the word. I want to talk, I want to give you guys a weapon. I want to give you guys a, a radical mind shift in your thinking of when you hear the word fasting, what do you think? And tell me, and go. What do you, when you think fasting? No food. No what? Huh? Denial. What else? Unplug? Yeah? Yeah? What? Fasting. Not running fast. Fasting. Okay, cool. So those are, those are things. Can we be honest in the room for a second? Can we be real honest? Okay, we'll see. How many of you guys have never fasted before? Raise your hand. Thank you for honesty. How many of you guys fast when you feel like you're led to? Raise your hand. Cool. Um, how many of you fast on a regular basis? Now, I'm not asking this to show off. I'm just, cool. Okay. Awesome. So fasting, you guys said what it is or what you think of when you do it. Um, things, what are things you fast? Food? TV? Treats? Sugar? Vodka? Oh, chocolate. <laughs> I was like... Okay, Patricia. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So she says she said chocolate. <laughs> but I mean, vodka falls in that too. So says Daniel had to resist wine. So I mean, okay. Cool. Anything else we want to add to that? Anything else you think of fasting? <laughs> TV, yes, movies. Some people fast activities. Uh, I know some youth that have fasted their sports, things like that. But what I want to talk to you guys about with fasting today is biblical fasting. So when I say this, I want you to keep in mind I'm coming from a word of God point of view. So if when I say this statement, just keep that in mind. 
Fasting in the biblical sense means food. All of the other things, TV, movies, sports, are worldly pleasures. Things that you should already not necessarily maybe have in your life that take up your time. Those are common sense things that we shouldn't be wasting time on. Now, am I saying you can't fast those things? No, but I'm saying when we're talking about biblically fasting, your body has to have food. It does not have to have TV, although some of you might feel like it does. It does not. I felt that way on the 4th of July. Boy, let me tell you, we woke up and we binged Stranger Things 3 all day long. I don't know if anyone else did that. I know Elvin did. Um, Anyway, you can judge. Listen, but I did not need that. So I'm asking you what you need, what you need. And what does your body need? Food and water, the end. So biblical fasting is food and water, okay? I want to tell you guys a story. There's a book out there by a guy named Mahesh Shavda. I don't know how to say his last name. Is that right? Your friend, you're friends with him, right? Yeah. Um, Harvest and Yvette know him. I'm obsessed with his books. He is phenomenal in his books. And this book I have read as of this time, going through it again for the sixth time. It's on fasting, and it has changed my life. So I'm going to give you guys a little nugget that's hopefully going to change your whole perspective and give you something to walk out. These things John are talking about, keeping the presence of God with you and it being part of your life. So he tells this story um, in his book about a boy named Stevie. So he goes into, he works as a mental, uh, he works at a mental and a physical disability place where kids go. So these are, this place is, um, which is crazy that these even exist, uh, where parents have discarded their children. Basically, they have Down syndrome, and they don't want to take care of them, so they send them to this center, is what it's called. And so they basically sign over their rights, or they sign over their um, their whatever. And so they take care of them. So this place is filled with children of all ages, from little babies to 17 years old, of children with disabilities. And so Mahesh goes in, and he is starts with different jobs, and he eventually works into counseling them and talking through to them. So he low-key is, he's gone to Bible University. He knows how to pray for people. So he's low-key praying for all these kids. He's praying for ones that have disabilities, ones who have, can't walk. He's seen, he's, he was praying for ones that were blind. And guess what was happening? While he was there, low-key, incognito, praying for these kids, guess what was happening? Healing. Yeah. All of a sudden, the little girl who couldn't see very well, the next day was all of a sudden she could see blurry images, stuff like that. Crazy stuff. So he's, he's got this one kid, he's 16, his name's Stevie, and he's praying for Stevie like crazy. Stevie has a heartbreaking story. He's, he deals with downs, but then he also has some other almost like ep- epileptic type things happen to him. So while he's just living his life, this 16-year-old boy is beating himself in the face to where he's bloodied, beaten, bruised, He has scabs all over his face all the time. He's scraping at his face all the time and himself, his body, self-mutilation like crazy. And he can't stop it. The school can't stop it. So the school, the teachers, they put these um, casts on his arms so that he can't bend his arms and reach his face. You'd think that would help. Well, it did, except that the kids in the school were cruel, and they saw that as a way to, to bully him. And so they'd go up behind Stevie and shove him down. Well, if his hands are in cast, what hits the floor? his face. So Mahesh says every time he saw Stevie, he was bloodied and swollen and beaten, beaten up. And so 
He's passionate about praying for Stevie. And all of a sudden, he just says one day, God, why not Stevie? Why? And all he hears is this kind only comes out through fasting. Now, from a Bible university major, he said even in that moment, he didn't even catch that that was scripture. He just heard it and was like, oh, okay, uh, so fasting. What do I know about it? You don't eat. You don't drink. Cool. So guess what? I guess I just won't eat and drink. So he goes full in. Like, this man's never fasted before a day in his life. So he's like, cool. So he gets through day one, no food, no water, no drink. And he says, cool. All right, Stevie, healed, blah, blah, blah. Nothing. He says, keep praying for Stevie. So Mahesh goes through day two, no food, no water, still praying. He asks the Lord again. He says, keep praying. By day three, he shares in his story that people were walking in and out of bathrooms, washing their hands, and even yelled at someone one time and said, you could have drank that water when they washed their hands in the bathroom. He's not drinking water, guys. Three days has no food or water. No concept of what he's doing except he's being obedient. And on day four, he says, pray for Stevie. So he literally says, you spirit of manipulation and destruction and suicide and all the things he names, get out in Jesus' name. And he says that Stevie's body flung across the room, hit the wall, and just went down. And he said all of a sudden he smelled this odor, like the most foul odor you can think of, like death. And all of a sudden he smelt it and it left the room. And he walked over to Stevie, and Stevie was touching his face. First time ever, any time his hands would ever go to his face, he was scraping his face off. He went to his, and he was touching his face, and Stevie just embraced him and started, and Mahesh and started crying. And after just a couple weeks, they saw Stevie in the school. Scabs were falling off. He was done. He had never dealt with that again. So it set, the, set him on this whole journey of, what did I just do? <laughs> so you guys know the story. And um, you probably know it well. You guys have heard the story where the epileptic, the, the, the boy is epileptic, and he comes to uh, the disciples, and the, the father comes to the disciples, and he's like, heal my son, right? And what happens? The disciples did it? No, they didn't do it. They couldn't do it. And then so they go to Jesus all upset, like, we're trying to pray. We're trying to get this demon out of this kid, and it's not happening. And what does Jesus do? He rebukes them. And then he says, but if your faith is as small as a mustard seed. Everyone's heard that, right? If you haven't, I'm telling you now. I, my whole life, have heard that message built on if you have faith as small of a mustard seed. Anybody raise your hand if that's the same. You've heard that message before. Yeah, like 90% of you. But what is crazy is what follows after that statement. And he says, but this kind of only comes out through fasting and prayer. He put a big butt at the end. Now, for me, I always read that as kind of like the, if you have faith, it's small of a mustard seed. And then, but if this one only comes out through fasting and prayer. Like, that's kind of how it was, just mumbled in my head. Until this moment when I saw this. If you guys have your Bibles, you can. If not, I'm going to go there. I want you guys to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 6. And give me a second to get there. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, verse, verse 5. It says, And when you pray, 
You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, and that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they will have their reward. But, in verse 6, when you pray, right, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly, right? You're a Christian in this room. Raise your hand if you pray. Raise your hand if you fast on a regular basis. Probably 100% of you raised your hand and 5 of you, 5% raised your hand on the second question. Now I want you to go to verse 16. Moreover, when you fast. Verse 17. But you, when you fast. Now to me, verse 16 kind of sounds a lot like verse 5. It says, when you pray, and then it says, when you fast. Somehow in our Christian modern world, we have completely taken that as a convenience thing. If God tells me, or if I feel like it, or if I need something, or if Lou Engle calls for a 40-day fast on January 1st, then I guess I should probably fast. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying if you pray, then why aren't you fasting? There is a key to fasting that we as a church are missing. When we pray for things and they're not shifting, then you go over to the scripture and God says, but this kind only comes out through fasting. Now, what I find fascinating about that story is Jesus says, but this kind only comes out through fasting. And then what does he do? He turns to the boy and what happens? He says that the boy gets delivered. Why? Because Jesus made fasting a part of his lifestyle. It wasn't, oh, there's someone dealing with some demonic things. I need to fast so I can pray that this person gets free of that. He didn't have to do that, guys. It was part of who he was. So he just turned and said, get out. Everything is covered by the blood and everything is covered in the name of Jesus when those two elements go together. Things move and things shift. So what I want to tell you is that um, our... Our, our, back in the day, fasting was a part of everyone's life. That wasn't even up for question. And I want to get us past this where it's come up to be this um, option in our life. Now, what does that look like? So let's talk about biblical fasting real quick. What did I say it was? Food and water. Yeah. Why is it food and water? It goes back to what John was saying. Our flesh, we're having to deny our flesh. It's not convenient for us to fast. And let me tell you, when I've done 40-day fast in my household, look at his face. My kids beg me to eat food. Those first three days, the first couple days of any fast, a, a five-day fast, if you've fasted, you know. Like, the things in the fridge talk to you, Right? <laughs> Like they, they call you, they, like a horror movie, like Christina. And you're like, what? Like, right? If you've done it, you know what I'm talking about. And my weakness is cheese. So I swear that that cheese, come, right? God of his glory. And I think, I think it's just a bite of cheese. And God's like, no, your flesh is really going to have to die. It's not about anything else. So we have to die to ourselves severely. When we drive down the road and every right to left is a fast food 
and you maybe never cared about McDonald's cheeseburgers. I hate McDonald's cheeseburgers. But when I'm on a fast, give me a McDonald's cheeseburger, please. I don't even eat chocolate. But when I'm on a fast, right? Vodka. (laughs) That will forever be remembered here the history of RCC. So, you guys with me? Y'all with me? So you ready? are you ready to hear how you can practically put this as a part of your life? Okay, let me talk to you on the biblical side. I want you guys to assume that if you're fasting, you should not be doing entertainment and TV and all of that. That should be an assumption. But if you need to add that in later or you feel like you have to watch the news Probably should fast that too, but then just you can figure that out. I want to talk about food. There's three types of fast. Well, there's a, few, uh, there's a fourth, but I'm going to talk about three types of fasting right now. Number one, it's called the Esther fast. And if you go back to Esther chapter four, later you can make notes and you can do this later. This is the one where y- your, your family will want to hide for three days, basically, or you need to hide for three days. In the story of Esther, it talks about what they did to prepare themselves. They fasted for three days, and they did what Mahesh did, which was no food and no water for three days, from sundown to sunup. No food, no water. Can your body survive? Yes, it can. Will you want to die? Yes, you will. That is one way. And I, I taught this to our youth um, a couple times, but the one time, Mikkel, you guys know Mikkel, our drummer, he, he did it. He had never heard about the whole fasting concepts and all of that except just the word fasting. And so he heard about the different fasts, and he was like, I'm going to go all in. And he did the Esther fast first before he did even, like, taking a meal out a day. Like, he went Esther fast. And by the third day, he was calling me and texting me, and I was like, listen, you need to go drink some water. It was bad. I really, I really thought someone was going to get murdered. So I wouldn't necessarily say to start with that fast, but guys, if you have something to contend for that is deeper than what people can possibly see or imagine, then you need to deny your flesh and go with Esther. The other kind, obvious one, no food. You can drink water. No sodas, not even apple juice, no vodka, no nothing, no, no chocolate milk, water, and no food. When I say no food, that means no food. <laughs> that is a hard one to do. Your body is accustomed to eating three meals a day, maybe some of you only a couple, snacking. So what happens the second, when you, when you start Stop. Let's say you fast breakfast. By the time you get to lunch, some of you accidentally fast breakfast. You know, like you forget to eat. What's happening to your stomach by the halfway through? Is growling and eating itself. We'll wait till dinner and watch what's happening. So your body is automatically going to be like, wait, 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 feed me, feed me. So by taking food away, you are causing yourself to come into alignment with the things of the spirit. So you are starving for food. Guess what the Lord wants that's, that's side by side with fasting? He wants you starving for him. So what I do personally, this isn't necessarily, it doesn't say this verbatim in the word, but when I get hungry when I fast, I immediately turn that hunger into prayer. And I immediately turn that to the Lord. Even if it's, listen, I have four kids and a husband. I still got to cook. I still got to cook when I'm fasting. And I like to cook. I like to make some good stuff. My husband says, I cook best when I'm fasting and dieting. I don't know why. It's things I can't eat. But I do it. And so you have to sit there 
And you have to smell that. And like I said, it talks to you. It really does. So that's another kind. The other kind, which is the most popular, is the Daniel fast. Now, I want to address that real quick. If this is you, please do not take this the wrong way. I'm just going to bring in an encouraging rebuke-ish. When you Daniel fast, when you fast, and I'm not talking about if you're doing the Daniel diet. That's different. I'm talking about if you go into a fast saying, I'm going to do the Daniel fast, and you do it, but you buy the cookbook, you might be missing the point of fasting. Because if fasting is to deny ourselves of the easy things, to me it would be pretty easy to open up a cookbook and make a good meal out of fruits and vegetables. But I want to make it hard, so I'm going to make it raw. And if you go back and do the original, pull it up. The original, what did Daniel really fast? It's pretty bland. He didn't even, he didn't add salts and peppers. The one I don't even know, Harvest, if it's true, but I heard that they didn't even do oils or anything. That's crazy to me, and that seems impossible to us. But now we get the carrots out, and we steam them, and we add the spices and all that, and it's perfect. I would eat that every day. But do you really want to go all out? Do you really want to deny your flesh of what's easy is my question. That's, that's the Daniel fast. So what's the purpose of fasting? Go ahead, tell me. Breakthrough, denying your flesh, right? What? Hungry for our bridegroom, hungry for the return of Jesus. Because he's a genie in a bottle, right? No, he's not. I think a lot of times when we say, we raise, we raise, I even raise my hand in that, I need something, so I'm going to fast. So we expect if we jump into a fast, that he's going to give us what we ask for. So at the end of the fast, we're like, I went on a fast just for this one thing, and it didn't shift. Okay, he's not a genie in a bottle. And so when we go into a fast, we go in saying, no matter what happens, I'm doing this because I need to go in and get that to that place with you. I need to go into that deep, deep place. It's for authority. It's for identity. It's all of the things that the enemy would try to strip from us. It's so we can remind ourselves who we are, who he is, and that we can't do, we can't do anything without him. So as, John, as John's making his way back up here, that those are just key factors that I wanted to give to you and that I would love as a church, as a family, as as we're doing these things that John was talking about even and like rearranging our thinking, can this become a part of our life? So do you start with a 40-day fast? I mean, I wouldn't. You know what I start with? I tell, we tell, I tell all the, the youth and young adults when I teach this, start with one meal, but make it a hard meal. Like breakfast, I walk out the door all the time without breakfast. Lunch, that's another story. But dinner, I'm at the table. And so if it's dinner for you and it's one day, and a, a, a friend of mine that goes here was, was do a, doing a fast, and I had been talking to her about it. And she was saying she was having a really hard time. She was having a really hard time. And I said, have you ever fasted before? And she's like, not for more than one meal. Well, what day are you on? Like day six. And I said, do you feel like, you need to push through this, or do you feel like your body is, like, shutting down? I, like, I feel like my body's shutting down. Then eat. No, I don't want to disappoint God. Let me tell you, God's not going to be disappointed because you never fasted before, and you've gone six days. Do not be religious with it. 
if you're going to be going, if you're on a fast and you're going to be at a, a family event that would be disrespectful if you didn't eat and you feel you need to eat that meal because the Lord's releasing you to, not because your flesh is giving in, eat the meal and then go back on the fast. Do not condition yourselves to be so in a place where you think the Lord's going to judge you. Make this a part of as much as you pray fast. You know what I think is so cool too? Yeah, that's good. Something that I think is funny is now one of the most popular things you hear is the intermittent fasting with dieting. And, you know, it's amazing that as we grow in, in knowledge and understanding and what's healthy, what's not, I mean, it seems like some things will kill you and then they're, they're great for you the next day. It's confusing. But with fasting, I was looking this up. It says one of the, there's so many, like, benefits, but God knew this when he put this in motion. But check out this benefit. It says it improves your brain health. I'm like, that sounds weird. It says fasting improves metabolic factors that are important to your brain health. This includes less oxidative stress and inflammation, as well as a drop in blood sugar and levels and in insulin resistance. It says eventually, it also increases the levels of brain-driven neurotrophic factors. And it says a brain hormone that, when deficient, is directly linked to depression and other mental issues. It says not only that, people who try intermittent fasting confess to, being, to feeling more sharp-minded, focused, and tend to be more productive at work. So there is literally a link to combating even some depression and mental health issues with fasting in the natural scientific sense, not just the spiritual. So fasting is incredible. And let's bring this full circle. So we started off this message today with this great, amazing skit and this drama that happened. So what now? So Jody starts off on her knees here praying. And she gets up and she has this party she's getting ready to go to, but Jesus shows up. What she's doing there, what that symbolizes is she's aware of his presence. Sometimes he was sitting on the couch the whole time. We just didn't realize. So all of a sudden, she's aware of his presence. She's getting ready to go do something she probably shouldn't do. What would have been really awesome if we turned the tables on this story and the knock at the door comes and it's the boyfriend. And she says, come here, one second. Jesus, come on, let's go. And she walks into that environment and she shifts and changes the atmosphere of what was going to be a crazy anti-God, anti-kingdom environment. And she's now in the world, but not of it. And she sets herself apart and says, I can do this. And then all of a sudden, her and the Lord literally start changing everything. Some of us become so religious that we forget what it's like to reach into a dying world. So we're not saying you, you can't go into those places where people are suffering or that they don't love God. This means you still go there. Now, if you have hang-ups or you have issues that are not safe for you or that if you're tempted beyond what you can bear, that is not a safe place for you. So. Sorry. On a total rabbit trail. The scripture in 1 Corinthians says, hold on, this was in, in my notes too. And this is important because I think this is going to help us. You know, we get bumper, we call it bumper sticker Christianity, uh, where, we, where we say things like someone's desperately crying and hurting and aching and they're going, you know, Jesus is with you. 
Well, Jesus, Jesus, is, uh, Jesus will turn this all for his good. Well, duh, I know he will. But sometimes we, we use lingo that is not what that person needs. But there's one particular one that John just said. You see it? Oh, yeah. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And I'm going to read it to you real quick. How many of you have used this one or said this one? Because my hand is high and raised when I say, when I say I've said it. It's okay because God won't give you more than you can handle. I mean, I'm guilty as charged. So, But let me read this to you real quick. Because today you're going to never say that again. Okay? Okay. Because in 1 Corinthians 10.13 it says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as in common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. It has nothing to do with circumstances in your life. It is saying when we are tempted, then he will never give us more than we can handle in temptation. He will always provide a way out. But that is not when things are overwhelming you and you cannot handle them and you're going, I'm drowning. That is not a proper place for that scripture. Sorry. And let me tell you, when you are in that place and you are overwhelmed, one of the things that we're lacking in the church is understanding what the community was meant to be. So in the book of Acts, they have all things in common. Now when somebody is having a meltdown, God, I thought you wouldn't give me more than I could possibly bear because we misquote a scripture. Just like we misquote, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Right before that, it says, if you delight yourself in him, then he'll give you desires. We always want to quote scripture to fit us and make us feel good too. Yeah, why is nothing changing? What's happening? So the community, the body of Christ, that means we have all things in common. That means when we know someone's suffering and they just got everything that you can imagine, their roof is falling apart, they have no money, the church comes around and they help because they relieve some of that stress and they stand together with you when there's a death in the family or there's some kind of loss or whatever. We learn how to stand with one another. We become very private people because we're tired of being hurt by hurting people. And so we kind of isolated ourselves, which I understand, but we have to remember we're still called to community and fellowship. We're still called to be here for one another, okay? So it's learning how to do that together outside of a service. This is everyday life. Like how, how encouraging would it be if somebody in this room right now stood up and said, I, I'm about to lose my house because I got sick and I couldn't work and I lost my job. And I don't know what to do. And everybody said, oh, we'll take care of that. And we all pitch in together and pay their mortgage that month. See, that's practical. Sometimes we forget the practical. Most of us, I'll pray for you. God's the God of a breakthrough. What if the breakthrough was supposed to come through our hands? Okay? So let's think about that. Let's learn how to lean on each other without being a mooch. Some of you all mooches. You know what a mooch is? Mooch is I always need something from somebody. And I'm going to get everything I can at all the time. That's a mooch. Don't be a mooch, okay? We don't want that. That means there's, God's doing something in your life to change you, and you're not getting it yet, all right? So today, my encouragement for you is when you walk out of here, when you get back into your normal routine this week, life, home, work, vacation, whatever you're doing, because some of you all never took Jesus on one vacation you've ever been on, I want you, don't let me preach another message, I want you... To make sure he's not sitting at that couch. I want you to be aware of his presence. I want you to know how to have overcoming breakthrough and victory in your life. Disciplining your flesh. 
saying no, prayer, fasting, being in the word. These are practical. You're like, that's so basic. We're not doing the basic. Let's do the basic. Okay? I promise you, if you do the basic, we're going to see something great happen. If you actually do it for real, like, try it. So, last thing, when you fast, not if, but when you fast, don't let me catch you, hashtag fasting for real. Don't let me catch you trying to let people know about your fast. Because what happens is Pastor John gets in trouble, and he starts to rebuke you, and I don't want to do that. Fasting is not for everyone to see. Fasting nobody should know about. You should not be coming here like, oh, I can barely walk. Then you might as well just go eat a burger. Shut it. Stop. Don't. Not for everybody to know about. But in the same sense, there's the religious side too. So you, you go out to eat with people and you're fasting and they're like, why aren't you eating? You don't have to be like, oh, you know, just say I'm fasting. It's, it's about the posture of your heart and it's about that outlet that we now have called social media that gets us in trouble. It says that about praying though too. We're not supposed to make a. Yeah, they ask me why I'm not eating. I'm like, because I'm fat. I don't want to do anything else. No, I'm just kidding. So everybody stand up for me. Stand up. I know. We're just being normal, right? Is it okay to do that? I know. You feel like you're kind of like hanging out in my living room. <laughs> my living room right now is a mess. Go ahead. I just feel, I'm feeling that I really need to reiterate. Um, if you do, if someone, if the pastor calls for a fast, if Louie Engel calls for a fast, and you, and you go for it, I do, I'm not saying don't do that because someone told you to. I'm saying if you feel like jumping on board, I'm saying don't wait to feel like fasting. That's what I'm saying. I'm not knocking. I'm not even knocking the Daniel cookbook, but make sure, put the alignment of your heart and your flesh right and put it as a part of your daily walk with the Lord. So let's just pray together. Father, I thank you that today we were allowed to laugh as family. We were allowed to be creative in your house. And we were allowed to actually pay attention that you're with us. God, thank you for the revelation that you are always near. And that you will be with us as we walk out this life. Holy Spirit, I ask that you will give us an awareness of your presence as we leave. That the skit will just ingrain into us that you are with us every step of the way. And that wherever we go, we are taking you with us because we asked. And you're faithful to do so. Lord, help us as we discipline, discipline our flesh, as we learn how to pray and read your word in a better way, in a way that makes real sense to us so we can connect with you. And when we fast, Father, would you help us on that journey, just as your spirit drove you, Jesus, into the wilderness? Would you drive us out of here to get things in line and prepare ourselves? So Holy Spirit, we thank you for being with us. And Jesus, I ask that all of our minds will be fixated on the fact that you're literally walking out of here with us when we leave. That you've been with us the whole time. We honor you. We honor what you're doing here at RCC. We thank you for Pastor George. We thank you that he'll be coming back here for next week. And we ask that you would just bless him and let him feel just that encouragement and strength from you today. And God, I thank you for what you're doing here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.